Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to Creeping It Real with me, Morgan. Um, this is episode four. Um, just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who's followed the page over on Instagram. It's the new account I've made for the page now, which is Creeping It Real with Morgan. Um, also, thank you for all your stories and things that have still been coming through. Um, I still need so many more to keep this podcast going. So if you could just keep sending me any short or long ghost stories that you have... It doesn't even have to be ghosts. It can be ghosts, spooky encounters, UFOs, anything you have, anything you fit that, anything you think that fits in the theme of the podcast. Please let me know. Um, so in today's episode, um, I have a few stories, um, which is going to be all about haunted castles. Um, I'm actually going to talk to you about some of my own experiences in a haunted castle too. Um, so yeah. So with that being said, let's just get straight into the first story, shall we? Uh, the first stories um, I have, I have two little stories, um, and they're a couple of sentences long because I like a short story, um, but they just get us in the mood for the little, the get us in the mood for the creepier uh, castle stories later. Uh, so the first story I wanted to share is about a headless carpenter ghost that can be spotted or seen at Muncaster Castle in Cumbria. So the short story reads. In the 16th century, Helenese Pennington, the daughter of Sir Ferdinand Pennington, master of Muncaster Castle, fell in love with a young carpenter. Heloise was already... Betr- right, this, I, again, you can tell I haven't proofread the whole story because I can't even say this name. Betroffed to a knight? Fell in love and was already betrothed to a knight, and in anger at his daughter for daring to love someone deemed unworthy, Sir Ferdinand paid his jester to murder the carpenter, presenting his severed head as evidence of the deed. The headless body of the young carpenter is said to roam the castle ever since, searching for his lost love. Well, or for his head, we don't know. (laughs) Um, The ghost of the headless carpenter is said to mostly haunt the grounds outside the castle, Um, and could be possibly searching for his head. (laughs) Um, I quite like that little story, because I quite like the idea of... um, That is really bad for me to say that, actually, isn't it? I shouldn't say that. But I quite like the idea of there just being, like, a headless spirit walking around, just like on Harry Potter. Um, Oh, what's that guy on Harry Potter? Nearly Head... Is it Nearly Headless Nick? Something like that, I think. I just imagine that being what that one is like. Um, Anyway... Another little one, um, which is kind of a castle, but it's the Tower of London. Um, And this is about a ghostly bear that can be spotted. So the story reads, In its long and bloody history, the Tower of London has witnessed the execution of many notable figures. The ghosts of its victims appearing at will to shock unsuspecting witnesses. In 1816, a peculiar type of apparition caused a tragic death itself. A sentry guard at the dual house saw the figure of a huge bear and in fear lunged at the animal only only to pass straight through and into the door. The terrified man fainted and despite walking to recall his experience died of shock a few days later. The bear is thought to have been part of the tower's menagerie first established in the castle by Henry III. Oh, I, I like that one because I thought it was a bit of a change from um, human spirits then, should we say. Um, so if you ever go to the Tower of London, watch out for the ghostly bear that you might spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, those two little stories might have just been tales of the past. 
Um, but we all love a ghostly story, don't we? That's why we're all here. Um, I've actually been doing a bit of research. Um, not as much as I'd like, because at the minute I just hadn't had the time. But I do have a bit more free time now, so I will get into more research of it all. Um, but I've been doing some research into some haunted UK castles. Um, and I've come across a bizarre story. Now, I have heard this story before. Um, and I've gone, I've now got into more research of it and found some more accounts that I want to talk about. Um, but this story comes from a castle in Ireland called Lep Castle. I think I'm saying Lep Castle or Leap Castle. I'm saying, I'm going to say Lep. Um, this story is a bit weird because I don't know if it can be classed as a ghost story, but it's definitely strange. Um, but it's believed that the castle is haunted by an unknown presence of something called the Elemental. Now, bear with, because this story is quite a long, long one, okay? So, the Elemental is one of the most interesting spirits that reside at Lep Castle. It is an entity that is shrouded in mystery and intrigue. The first encounter, origin, and exact nature of the Elemental are unknown, but there are many theories that have circulated over the years. As mentioned, the time of of its appearance is not certain, but there have been vague mentions of a troublesome spirit at Lep Castle since the very early times. One early belief is that the elemental was put there by druids long before the castle was built to protect the sacred site used for initiations and druidic druidic magic. Another theory is that the elemental was placed there by an invading force to burn the castle from the inside. The person responsible is thought to be Gerald, Gerald Fitzgerald, Earl of Kilnder. What a name, Gerald Fitzgerald. Um, He was renowned for magic practitioner and had attempted to take over the castle on several occasions. Local myths say that the elemental is the spirit of an ancient O'Carroll who died in the castle from leprosy. This is said to be the reasoning for the decomposing facial features and appalling stench that accompanies the presence of the spirit. Mildred Darby was said to have dabbled in the occult. Her activities focused on seances and automatic writing. Some think that it was her dabbling that either awoke or summoned the elemental. It was around this time that the horrific discovery in the obulet, three cartloads of bones, approximately 150 bodies. The huge release of emotional energy linked to the spirits in the obulet upon their discovery may have been enough to wake up the dormant spirit. It was shortly after this that Mildred Darby would have her her terrifying encounter with the Elemental. Whatever this entity is, it only seemed to make its its presence known when people begin to provoke it. The current owners, the Ryans, have lived at Lep Castle since 1991 and have never felt its sinister presence. Mildred Darby was unknowingly provoking the Elemental by her occult dabbling, Other individuals on the brunt of the Elemental's Fury have also been looking for it and attempted to study the entity. There are a few personal accounts of an encounter with the Elemental, so an accurate description is quite hard to formulate. It may even appear different depending on how gifted an individual is at seeing, in quotations, spirits. So, the next next account describes an an encounter with the Elemental. The individual has an unfortunate experience to have been attacked during their investigation. So this account comes from uh, the 18th of June, 2002. I was two years old. Um, Anyway, uh, it says, I travelled to Lep Castle in order to make a show for a local TV network. 
This was my first time in the Notorious Castle I'd heard so much about. So the show went well, but I wanted to try the UV on the camcorder while still shooting. I had sent something down the old access to the battlements earlier and never went down. I climbed down the stairs with a camcorder in the front. The, the light from the UV allowed me to see about six foot ahead and no more, so I climbed slowly. I opened the gothic-style door and made my way slowly down the narrow passage. About ten foot in, I thought I saw something move, and I lifted my head. I could feel something was wrong, but I had no idea what. This time, with the camera dropped, I thought I saw a glow come from around the corner, and then it went back in. I stood and studied this for a while and thought it may be a side effect of the UV, which can be common. Yeah, to be fair, if you stare at UV light for too long and you look at the walls, you can see it on other walls. <laughs> I know that I have two UV light, not UV, neon lights in front of me. And if I look at one for too long and then if I blink at the wall next to me, I can see the sign on the other wall. Nothing paranormal, I think it's just our eyes. Anyway, um, a few steps more and my body was weakening fast. It was a strange sensation. Suddenly, this massive white-like mist raced around the corner like a bull. Even the rubbish on the floor scattered as it approached at speed. The passage was tight, and I turned my left to try and get out, but it was too late. I felt the pain as if something had just pierced under my right rib cage and went all the way through to the, my back. This startled me a little, and we proceeded to arrange shooting in the cellars. The audio refused to tape again in the cellars and I felt really odd. I was sweating heavily and was becoming very weak and drowned in dread. Right after the incident in the tunnel, I felt as if a hole in my chest had been punctured on a spiritual level and my life was seeping into the stones. In order to describe it and let the reader understand, they would have to experience a large blood loss sometime in their lives. As they felt the blood drain, this weakness would become prominent. Other words, they were experiencing the onset of death. I was dying. Bit dramatic there, but okay. Um, I have another account, again, of someone who witnessed the elemental, or thought they um, witnessed the elemental. Um, and this one was in on the 18th of June, 2006. In which year I was six. <laughs> I looked into the darkness of the corridor that was exited... Oh my gosh, I said that way too quick. Right. I looked into the darkness of a corridor that exited the spiral stairway. I became aware of a smell of sulphur. It was as if boxes and boxes of matches had suddenly been lit at once. I looked at my friend who had taken me to, Lepca to visit Lep Castle. He could also smell the sulphur. I stared into the darkness of the corridor and had the impression that a beast like a bear or a lion was staring back at me. The tension was rising like a tick... The ticking time bomb. My friend then closed the door and said to let sleeping dogs lie. Meaning sometimes you just have to leave things alone. He was a friend of Sean Ryan and I certainly did not want to disrespect either of them by stirring up the elemental. So again, it's like they haven't seen it, but they've, they've felt the presence of it and they've smelt it. Now, actually, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong on this that sulphur is a very common smell in old buildings like castles and things because the old bricks that they used for, or stones that they used to build the castles are made from limestone. And I'm pretty sure if you rub limestone together, it creates like a sulphur smell. So it could just be that. I might just be too skeptical, but I'm just saying, I'm just leaving options open, you know? 
Um, so the elemental has potential to cause great harm to anyone receiving the brunt of attack. One belief is that the elemental has the ability to alter the atmospheric pressure, generally lowering it. The popularity of atmospheric ions fluctuates and triggers a condition known as serotonin hyperfunction syndrome. That's a lot to say. Um, this can cause symptoms such as heart palpitations, nausea, vomiting, sweating and chills, tremor, dizziness and fatigue. It has also been seen that skin and hair will have an electrical discharge. So what do we think, guys? The elemental. Um, the, el- uh, I've, the elemental, actually, there's images on Google that you can look at that where there's other accounts of people who have seen, um, who've actually seen it and experienced it. And it, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be like a kind of goat animal. And the face is like rotten flesh and just looks horrible. Um, so yeah, what do we think? I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that's a ghost. Um, it could just be, um, like I said, this this dates back hundreds and hundreds of years. This story does. So it could be that uh, it's just a tale of the past. Um, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say it's a ghost story. Um, but yeah. Okay, so let's get back into some actual ghosts. Um, The next spooky place I want to talk to you about is actually just on my doorstep, and it is Margham Castle. I have briefly touched on this in previous episodes, um, but this is the episode where you get to hear my personal experiences at Margham Castle. Now, I didn't want to do too much research into Margham Castle because I would like to go back there and do a ghost hunt again, and I feel like if I know certain stuff, it's going to spoil it for me. So I want to kind of like let the let it talk to me itself, if that makes sense. Um, now, I'll give you a little a rundown of the history of Margham Castle before I get into the ghost part. So, Margham Castle sits nestled on an 850-acre country estate, roughly two miles from Batalbot, South Wales. It is, in fact, a large Victorian-era country home built to look like a Gothic-style castle. So I know I said this is about castles, guys, and it is known as Malcolm Castle, but it's not an actual castle. It's actually just a mansion, um, which I actually wouldn't mind living in, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, so it was built between 1830 and 1840. Uh, Christopher Rice Mansell Talbot commissioned it after having returned from a grand tour of Europe. He'd fallen in love with the Gothic architecture over there. On returning to his home in South Wales, he decided he wanted a similar building on his family estate. There had been a family home prior to this, but Christopher demolished the Tudor building to make way for his new one. The Talbot family remained with the house up until 1942, when it was finally sold to Sir David Evans Be- Sir David Evans Bevan. There's a lot of, like, I want to say alliteration but that might be if they begin with the same letters right so I don't know if that's true but anyway Sir David Evans Bevan (laughs) however Sir Evans Bevan soon felt that the building was far too large for his needs but could not find anybody at the time who could take it on so it slowly fell into disrepair before the county county council took it over in 1974 Devastatingly, in 1977, a fire caused extensive damage to the building and everything within. An ambitious restoration project still goes on today to restore the amazing place. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I went. I took the dog for a walk um, a few a few months back now, and there's scaffolding around the building at the minute, so they are still doing work there. Um, 
But yeah, although Markham Castle, as it stands, was relatively new in history, the land itself has been in use for a lot longer and is thought to have accompanied has been thought to have been occupied for around 4,000 years. I got way ahead of myself then, and I was staying up too, way too quickly. Um, yes, there is evidence that the Bronze Age people settled in the area with several burial mounds being discovered in the park. Evidence of Roman occupation has also been found there. The ruins of the 11th century Markham Abbey remains on the grounds. The abbey was destroyed like many others during the desolation of the monasteries in 1537. In fact, the first Mansell mansion was built out of and on the grounds of this abbey. So yeah, the abbey is actually set in, there's a little bit in the grounds and then there's another abbey at the top, um, which you have to, it's a short walk, you have to climb up a little bit of a, it's not a steep hill, but it's a little bit of a hill you go up um, to get to the abbey. And I actually walk Peggy, my dog, up there quite often, so... I say often, she doesn't like walking often, but when when she does want to go for a walk, that's where we go. <laughs> um, in 1898, what was described as one of the most awful crimes took place on the Margham Castle estate. Robert Scott, 39, the head gamekeeper, discovered a poacher whilst doing his rounds. Scott had sighted the poacher who made a gap in the wall and was now inside the grounds. The poacher, realising he'd been caught, ran back towards the gap. And at the same time, Robert Scott... Two ran towards it, hoping to cut the poacher off. Scott managed to get to the gap first, only to see that the poacher had a shotgun, which he did not hesitate to fire at Scott's face. The result was horrible, with the dislocation of the lower jaw and shattering of the facial bones. This did not kill him, though, and he managed to struggle for some years, for some distance before collapsing. This was when the poacher caught up to him and leaned across the wall to take another shot, this time hitting Scott in the shoulder. The poacher then took off and Scott died alone. Poaching was rife on the Margham estate as there were plenty of game to be found. Many gamekeepers and assistants had been attacked before with one even having been beaten and tied up to a tree. No attack has been as deadly as this one. Sadly, Robert Scott's wife was left behind with a small child and his widow not even being allowed to view his body due to the horrific damage. It is said that the angry spirit haunts Margham Castle is that of an unhappy Robert Scott. Although it is said that he's been sighted on the grounds of Margham Park, he's also reported on imposing the Gothic staircase. Frequent poltergeist activity such as stone throwing is also put down to the angry gamekeeper. But it's not just the gamekeeper who is thought to be haunting this country house. As the sounds of children have been heard running and playing, this is more mysterious as we can't find many reports of children dying here. Could this be less intelligent and just be residual? Tell that to the real children who wander off and when found, they claim that they've been playing with a new friend. Um, So yes, uh, I can confirm that there's a lot of uh, (laughs) poaching. I I I understand why there'd be a lot of poaching. We see, we, our house backs on to the mountain that is connected to Malcolm Castle, Malcolm Park, I should say, um, and you often see a lot of deers, packs of deer. Are they called packs, groups of or packs of deers? And I'm talking like fifty to a hundred, maybe, um, going past the the on the mountains at the top. So that would explain why they used to do a lot of hunting. Um, not that that has anything to do with the story, but I just thought I'd add that in. Um, 
But yes, so the haunted uh, Malcolm Castle is apparently haunted by Robert Scott. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the story, there um, there is a lot of history in Malcolm Malcolm Park for a lot of reasons for this this particular story for Robert Scott, but also they found evidence of the Bronze Age being the ground being used during the Bronze Age, um, and again then the Tudors. Um, I know Henry VIII actually um actually visited there um i don't know if it was one of his places where he used to stay but i'm i i know that he he was very fond of Margham park shall we say um so yeah why i wanted to touch on this was because i uh, i have actually been on a ghost hunt with the local ghost hunting group in Margham castle back in 2018 um and to be fair uh, a lot of strange stuff did actually happen whilst we were there. Uh, whether it's paranormal or not uh, is for you to decide. Um, I'd like to think that it is, but as I am a skeptic, I'm going to just be open-minded and say, this is what happens, and I can't explain it. So, when we first got to the castle, we had a quick tour of the house, and they took us upstairs into like the attic room. Um, if you've never been to Markham Castle, it's 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 quite a lot it's it's huge it's huge and they've got a really pretty staircase as you go in you go up the stairs now upstairs i believe is is closed off to the public um during the day i think it's only if you do private investigations in the evening that you can go upstairs again this i think this is because of the fire damage and stuff that hasn't been fully repaired um there's not a lot of furniture or anything left in the castle that like original furniture there's a few bits and pieces but not much so it's it's pretty empty and echoey. Anyway, when we went upstairs, we were in the attic room and the group decided we would turn off all the lights and have a sensory feel of the place because we just first got there. Again, none of us have really done any research into Malcolm Castle because we live locally. We like you hear a lot of the history and as a as a child we used to go there and stuff, but it's ne- you ne- you don't know like the paranormal history of it, you know. So, we turned off all the lights and had a sensory feel of the room. When the lights did go off, I I did have a weird weird feeling, just just a bit like um, like uneasy, and the temperature of the room did completely drop. Um, but it, you know, it, this wasn't the weird part because my brother, who was stood next to me, um, whispered to me that he could feel some something tugging at his trousers, just just like just above his knee, like pulling on his trousers, um, and. The group did some calling out and were asking for spirits to come forward, show themselves and whatever. So the, after that, nothing happened. We turned on the lights. And then when we were discussing the feelings of the room and everything and how everybody felt, another lady who was on the other side of the room pointed out that she'd felt something pulling at her leg. And she, she described it as almost like a child wanting her attention. It was then that the historian that we had on the group tour with us revealed that where we were stood was in fact the old nursery of the castle. Now, as I mentioned earlier on in the story, there aren't any reports of children dying at the castle. Now, however, because the castle is so old and there's so much that goes on, we can't confirm that there isn't any ghosts there of children. Apologies for the dogs barking in the background there. That was, that was in fact, Peggy barking at the postman. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so we couldn't actually confirm whether there's actually any reports of children ghosts, but then a lot of the tales do report hearing children running and laughing in the corridors. 
so we went into another large room on the upper ground and turned off the lights and called out again like we did in the previous room and we had a woman in the group who was a psychic medium and she said that she was picking up on a little boy spirit called oscar so after after doing some more calling out trying to communicate with the spirit a small coin was thrown at the group um now i'm very skeptical about this because i don't fully believe that we could trust like these people we were on this group tour with were 12 strangers we'd literally just met in the car park so i don't know how much we can believe for that the coin was a little i'm pretty sure it was a victorian coin um and like i said it was thrown from apparently nowhere um but for me i i not 100 percent convinced that this wasn't done by someone in the group um however i won't ever know so we did that. Uh, we then went and uh, went back downstairs because this is what starts making it weird and a bit more personal. We went back downstairs and we went into the back room, which I believe was just like the dining hall of some sort or like a dining area. Um, and we began a, a Ouija board session. Uh, we started asking questions and we actually started getting answers. The planchette on the board was moving and it was actually communicating. We managed to start communicating with someone called Trevor. Now, after some questioning and asking different things, it actually turned out that this this guy, Trevor, was actually um, one of the girls that were in our group. It was her best friend who had passed away a short while ago. Um, things that come through were actually really interesting because when we asked how he died, it was spelling out the word pole. Now, it was then confirmed by the girl in the group that it, that her friend, had, her friend Trevor, who had died, actually died because during a drunken, like, state, in a drunken state, he actually climbed up a pole. Now, as this was so long ago, I can't fully remember whether he climbed up a lamppost or if it was a signpost of a new housing estate that was being built. It, I know it was a big pole that he'd climbed up and he fell off and he'd hit his head and he died from that accident. Now, obviously, the Ouija board was spelling out pole. So it was myself, my brother Dylan and my sister and uh, this uh, other girl and her friend that were on the board with us. So we didn't know these people. They didn't know us. So there was no way of it being that we were doing this thing. And for something like a death like that falling off a pole is very specific, I feel. So I don't feel like that could have been made up. Um, unless, of course, it was her friend doing it, which I I don't think she would be. I, I don't know if it would be that uh, kind of thing to do. Um, but yeah, along with that, other things were confirmed by her. Like there was different like birthdays and stuff that he, she'd asked him to spell out and they were all confirmed as correct. But what happened next really threw us. Now, as I said, I am a skeptic. But what this is what really grew my passion into the paranormal when this happened to us there. So my nan passed away in 2017. Um, so that was only a year before this ghost hunt. But whilst we were doing the Ouija board, um, a spirit came through and claimed to be our nan. She confirmed that some things such as my nieces and nephews' names. And she even knew my dog Peggy, Peggy's name. So things like that were confirmed now however at this point myself dylan and my sister were still on the board um we carried on questioning and we were asking um asked her what her birthday was now her reply was the 2nd of june but this wasn't her birthday 
Um, however, this was in fact the day she'd passed away. She'd actually passed away on the 2nd of June 2017. But when we were asking her what her birthday was, it was coming through as the 2nd of June. So whether that is some... I, I, I don't know if that is something or whether it's just a coincidence, but it's a, it's a big coincidence anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, so a lot of other happen things happened in between. Um, but because it's quite a few years ago, I can't... And not all of this resided in my memory, if I'm completely honest. Um, but whilst we were doing the board, my brother Dylan wasn't actually convinced that it wasn't myself or my sister moving the planchette. So we decided we would come off the board and let the two others that were with us, who didn't know us at all, we just met in the car park. So these people were on the board and we were uh, they were asking the questions for us to ask our nan. Um, so stuff was still coming through from my nan and one of the things that uh, come through was the word Bulgaria. Now, this was particularly strange because in the uh, year prior to that, my parents had just actually moved to Bulgaria, um, which again is quite a specific place to come up with. So these people would these people like be able to make that up? Um, so yeah, come up with things like that. Um, she, the, she even mentioned a tiger. Now, a tiger. Dylan has a small teddy that was given to him by my nan, and this is an this is a little tiger teddy. Um, we had weird stuff happen with this tiger teddy in the house previously as well, where it would it would just be moved around randomly and left in random places and things. And we always used to think maybe it was one of the dogs moving it or something. But then when this comes through on the Ouija board, this was then kind of like we were hope what we would like to believe is that this was her way of saying yes, this that is me communicating through the tiger. Um, whether it's sure or not, it's quite a comforting feeling anyway. Um, but yeah, one of the uh, other things that I remember, uh, we actually asked uh, my nan if she had a message for my granddad, who is still alive now, um, and she wrote "God bless," and then the board ended, and it, and that was it. So we had like other bits in between, but like I said, I can't really remember off the top of my head. I think it was more of us just trying to confirm names, dates, and stuff like that. But a lot of it was coming through, and it was it was, you know, confirmed. Um, but upon further thought into the, the last message that she said, and she said, God bless. Um, now, I don't think my nan was a very religious person anyway, um, but I can't confirm that. Um, but me and my sister were discussing this the other day, and we actually realised that, in fact, my nan's headstone, or grave, however you say it, um, actually has God bless engraved on it. So was this a coincidence? Was she just, you know, was that another way of her confirming? Um... I'd like to think so, but this is truly the best paranormal experience I have, to, like to date. I like, again, like I said, I am truly a skeptic, so I, I'm not here. To, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, oh, I've I have seen a ghost, but I definitely feel like I've I felt the presence of one, and lots of unexplainable situations that have led me to believe that they could be real. Um, but yeah, uh, amongst all the other stuff at Markham Castle, um, I do believe it's haunted. Um, we used to have, we had, um, like these flashing cat toys. They were like these little balls that used to flash when you touch them. And these were placed all over the, the castle throughout the night and they would go off upon request. So you'd say, we'd do some calling out and we'd ask the spirit, say, if there's anybody here, touch the ball on the left and the ball on the left would go off. And so, so it was things that were too much of a, of, it would be too much for it to be a coincidence. Um, and like I said, this this moment in time really did send my paranormal thing 
massively and that's what has brought me to where I am today with all this um but yes uh that was Malcolm Castle uh let me know what you think um like I said it could all be explained probably somewhere along the lines but um I truly believe that uh Malcolm Castle is haunted so on to the final spook of the episode for you because I know I've been rambling the last episode was too short and now this episode's going to be too long <laughs> but we digress. Uh, this is from my favourite place, which you guys know about because I use it in every episode, and this is from boardpanda.com. Now, again, this is just a short, fun story. I'm not saying it's true, um, but here we go. Uh, it says, it's called the Eerie Attic. A few years ago, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Melbourne, Australia. They went on to recall, it was my first time living on my own. The apartment block had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there a few months when I come home from work one day and went into the bathroom. I saw something strange, a wooden board which had covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space. Lay fractured in two pieces on the ground. I examined the pieces. The board was an inch thick and it would have, been, it would have taken Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had sent someone to work on the attic. I was frozen stiff with fear. Someone is up there for sure, I thought. I emailed pictures to the landlord asking if there had been anyone there with an undertone of annoyance and she hadn't warned me. Her reply read, please call me as soon as you're able to. I called and she explained that her last two tenants had had the same thing happen. She promised to replace the board and she did. A month later, I woke up one night at around 4am. My body was covered in goosebumps. It felt like someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent. But then I heard a dragging sound coming from above my bed. It was as if someone was pulling a sack of potatoes. I froze, convinced someone was up there. There is no way an animal could make that sound. After five minutes, I worked up the courage to turn on the light. I armed myself with a cricket bat and walked out to the bathroom. That's when I saw that the new board covering the hole was broken in two. I felt sick. The dragon sound had stopped, but I heard something else, whispering. The sound was very clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices, and I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. It's your turn. I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was 5am and dark outside. I watched TV to try and unwind. Then a fuse blew. My pet budgie, Dexter, whom I kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night, but he started squawking like he was being strangled. I'd never heard him make those sort of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys and ran and sat in my car and waited there until the sun came up. When I saw people walking their dogs, this come to be enough to go back in the house. The front door was open, but I figured I might have forgotten to close it when I ran out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter, but he wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half drowned in the toilet. I took him out, washed him and dried him. I was so confused. At 8am, I called the landlord and gave her a watered-down version of the night. Oh, wow, you've heard the whispering too, she said. I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on a few occasions and twice the board covering in the whole ceiling moved. Although I lived elsewhere now, the landlord recently called. She said that her new tenants had begged to speak to me about some of the stuff that's been going on there. Forget it, I said. It's their problem now. Oh, spooky. Um, I love that little story, actually. I feel sorry for the budgie, though. I mean, there was no need for them to do that. The budgie didn't die. 
though, because I read the comments after, the budget isn't dead. It was just half drowned. So it was just like, I don't know, just like wet. Um, but what do we think? Spooky? I like that one a lot. Um, but yeah, that actually brings us to the end of today's episode now. Um, I do hope you've enjoyed. If you did, please could you leave a five-star rating and review on Spotify, um, as this helps my thing amazingly. Um, if you're not already following us over on Instagram, please do. Um, and don't forget, please, please, please get in touch with any of your spooky stories. I love reading them. And like I said, I still need plenty more to make this podcast. Um, short stories, little experiences, even if it's just a sentence of something that's happened to you, please just let me know. I love reading them. And yeah, just get in touch. You can get in touch via Instagram, TikTok, or email. Um, the email address is creepingitrealwithmorgan at gmail.com. Um, so you can get in touch via that. Um, send me voice messages. Send me any if you if you want to send me a voice message, I can even just feature you on the podcast with your voice, um, and then you'll have less of me speaking. Um, so that would be that would be great. Um, but yes, I hope you all have a great week. I will be back next Sunday with another episode. Um, but until then, remember to stay spooky and always creep it real. Bye, guys. <laughs>